All right, if you have your Bibles with you today, please turn to Genesis chapter 50 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, that's Genesis chapter 50 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been going through the series Dreamer, which we have one week left in after this, and then it'll be all done. And the idea behind this is that for every single person on the earth, God has a dream and a destiny for you. There is something that he made you to do for him that you specifically and uniquely were created for. That you weren't left here on earth without purpose, without a plan, but God wants to use you mightily. And the extent to which God uses you is dependent upon the character of your heart and your willingness to be used by him. So as we've been looking at the life of Joseph, we've seen there are a series of character tests that he's going through to prepare him for the destiny that God's calling him into. And this week, we're looking at the pardon test. And that's, can you forgive someone who has done you great wrong? Now, Joseph ended up in Egypt, as you remember, because his brothers wanted to kill him. And instead of killing him, they decided, we'll just throw him into a pit and let nature take its course. And then they thought, well, let's not let him die. Let's sell him as a slave so we can make some money off of this deal. So he goes from being left in a pit to die to being sold as a slave. While he's in slavery, he gets falsely accused and he gets thrown in jail, which is even worse. So if you look at what's happened because of the actions of his brothers, they have greatly wronged him. And it wasn't an accidental sin against him. This was premeditated, this was cruel, and it was meant to destroy him. But despite his brother's best attempt to end his life, God preserved him and God led him into the fullness of his plan for him. And now some years have passed. Joseph's been promoted to second in command over all of Egypt, second most powerful, second wealthiest man in the entire world. And after some years, a famine comes upon the Middle East. And there's no food. So his brothers decided, well, let's go down to Egypt because they were the ones that, according to Joseph's plan, were storing up all the grain for the famine. They didn't know that it was Joseph, their brother, who was doing this. They go down there to buy the grain and they have that awkward run-in with their baby brother that they tried to kill and sell off as a slave. And they're starting to freak out because when you try to kill someone and then sell them off as a slave and then you encounter them and they're the second most powerful person in the world, there's not a lot of good outcomes that you can imagine from this. I mean, he could have just been like that, had him tortured, killed, thrown in jail, whatever. And that's what you would expect him to do. But instead, Joseph forgives them. Not only does he forgive them, but he gives them all of the grain that they need to survive. And he says, you know what, guys? Why don't you come live down here with me? And I'm going to set my entire family up in the nicest part of Egypt. And you will have absolutely everything taken care of. You will never have any want in your life again. So they all move down there, and things are going pretty well. They're still living a ways off from Joseph. They're not too close. And you can tell there's still some awkwardness going on in the family dynamic because when their father dies, they get scared again. And they go to Joseph, and they're trying to figure out how is it that we continue to preserve our lives in light of the death of her father because maybe Joseph was just treating us kindly because no parent wants to see one of their kids kill all the rest of their kids. So in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, we read, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
His brothers also came, and they fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the first place in all of the Bible where we see the word forgiveness mentioned. And the word forgiveness means to absolve fully, to release, or to pardon someone. So what's happened is they've done something really terrible to him. There's a debt that is owed by them because of what they've done to their brother. But Joseph, instead of demanding justice, instead of demanding that there be some right action, he says, instead I'm going to pardon you from all of the penalty and the ramifications, all of the payback for everything that I could do to you, it's all forgiven. I'm not going to hold this against you. And we're all going to find ourselves in that kind of a place many times in our life. You will find yourselves in a situation where someone has really wronged you. They have done something horrible to you. They've done something terrible. And it's really hurt you. And you have to come to that place where you look at it and you say, am I going to forgive this person or am I going to hold on to unforgiveness inside of my heart? And that's the pardon test. It's the character of, do we have the strength of character in our heart to be able to forgive people even when they've done something really bad to us? And to do that, I think there are three keys to forgiveness that we see in this story of Joseph. And the first one is that we need to release When you forgive someone, you completely release them from all charges against them. Even though what they did was wrong, you don't look for justice and you don't look for vindication. Forgiveness completely releases the wrongdoer from the punishment that they rightfully deserve. That's what true forgiveness looks like. It's a release. Now, when someone does something minor to you, that's easy. If you came to me and you stepped on my shoe, you said, oh, I'm so sorry, I wouldn't be like, you must buy me a new shoe and I must step upon your foot. That's, I mean, that would be just, I suppose, but it's easy when it's something minor to be like, hey, you know what, don't worry about it. You've been absolved of your sin. You don't owe me anything. And even when sometimes it's something more serious, but if the person's really repentant about it, it's easier to say, hey, don't worry about it. My wife and I were driving one time. We are just going down a highway about 55, 60 miles an hour. It's a country highway, so it's not divided or anything, just a two-lane highway. And we're just driving along in our Accord and this big jacked-up pickup truck's coming right at us. And then it just swerves right into our lane. And just a head-on collision just trashes us. I mean, it just rocks our world. And we're spinning around in the highway. We can't see anything because the airbags go off. And there's some cracked ribs and some cartilage that got torn a little bit, some bruised bones. So it hurt. Our car was destroyed. But the guy afterwards, when we found out that he was still alive, he's like, I am so incredibly sorry. He wasn't paying attention, and, but he was just so repentant about it, admitted, took full responsibility for it, was in tears thinking that he could have harmed us or killed us. And, you know, he was getting married that weekend too, and so it was like, you know what, it's okay, man. We're all alive, it's okay, don't worry about it. And it was easy to forgive that guy because of his attitude towards us. But when it's really hard to forgive someone, and when the pardon test really, really tests the character of your heart, is when the person never admits that they're wrong, when they never stop hurting you, when they aren't repentant about it, 
that's when it gets really hard to forgive someone. Joseph's brothers did some terrible things to him. Now, when we get together, it's fun to talk about the stuff you did as kids. One of my favorite stories is my little sister was, you know, we're probably teenagers at this time, and we're just playing around. I'd always chased her with spiders, even though I was a teenager. She was still scared of them, and I was still immature enough to be doing that. And so I'd always, like, put them underneath her door when she'd hide in there so they'd crawl in. And so one day we're out there, and I'd been doing that, and I was like, oh, it's okay, Amy, come on out here. Let's make some food together. So she comes out, and I pull up the butcher knife. I'm like, I'm going to get you, and she runs off, and, you know, she knows we're playing around. It's not a good idea to do that, though, kids. So she runs in her room, and I go and I get this metal spoon. It's just a metal spoon. And I go and I knock on her door, and I'm like, hey, Amy, I'm sorry, come on, I, I don't have the knife anymore. I put it away. Come back out here. Let's make our omelets. She's like, okay. So she opens the door, and I take the handle of the metal spoon, and I push it into her stomach. And she shrieks. And she's like, ah, Jeremy, you killed me! And she's flipping out, and I hold up the spoon, and I'm like, seriously, Amy? She's like, I thought you stabbed me. I thought I was going to die. I was like... And so we like to talk about that. I think she's forgiven me for that. But we like to talk about that stuff. But when you get together at, at Joseph's family table, it's like, hey, remember that time when you were a kid and we sold you as a slave? <laughs> remember that? You got thrown in that pit and for 13 years it was horrible for you? That was awesome. That's not how it is for them. This is a serious offense that's been committed against them. And not only have they done this to him, but they never say they're sorry. You see, they come up with a lie. They're continuing to try to manipulate Joseph. They don't just come up to him and say, Joseph, we are so incredibly sorry. We never should have done that. Can you find it in your heart to forgive us? What they did was they said, our dad's dead. He's going to take vengeance on us. So we got to come up with some kind of a lie to manipulate him. Their dad never said this. They made that up. And they tried to pull on all of his heartstrings. They go to him, not even themselves. They send a messenger to do it for them. And they say, your father, the one you love, the one who just died, well, his last dying request was that you would forgive us. They never came and apologized. They never took a guilt. I mean, they never took ownership of what it was that they had done. They just tried to manipulate the situation. And you're going to run across people who do that. People who will never admit that they've wronged you even though they have terribly hurt you. But you have to forgive them. You have to come to the place of where you can completely release them of the debt that is owed to you. Of where you don't hold on to it anymore. And if you hold on to that unforgiveness inside of your heart, it ends up hurting you. Even more than the sin that was committed against you, when you hold on to it, it continues to be something that festers and hurts you. My mom's had horses as long as I can remember, and there's an electric fence to keep the horses in and other animals out. When you go out there, you don't always know if the fence is plugged in or not. You just make assumptions. And I remember one time I was going out there, and I grabbed the fence and went to lift it up to get inside of the horse fence to feed them, and it's not a continuous current that goes through it, so you don't know right away if it's on or not. You're holding on to it. You don't feel the shocks. Then you're just going, and then it sent the current down, which it did about every second, and it shocked me. And I was confused. I thought it was off. So I'm a little bit mentally fuzzy. I'm like, what's happening? And the electrical current also causes your muscles to contract. And it wasn't like, you know, I couldn't let go, but it just the natural reaction to electrical current was just to make your muscles contract a little bit. So I'm sitting there, I'm holding onto the fence even tighter now, and that neck shot comes along. And it shocks me again. Now I figure out, okay, the fence is on. It only took two shocks. And I let go of it. 
But what happens with us is we have the same kind of thing happen. When someone wrongs you, most of the time it comes out of the blue. You can't believe that this person would do that. Or you can't believe that they would do it yet again to you. And so there's some mental confusion that's going on. And then there's the natural contraction of your heart. Your heart contracts and it becomes hardened. It becomes calloused. And you want to hold on to that wrong that they've done against you until they make it right, until there's some sort of restitution or there's some sort of apology. But the more you hold on to it, the more that heart tightens down in that issue, the more it's going to hurt you. What you need to do is to release it, to be released from the pain of it as well. But you will continue to just grip down harder and harder on it. But you know, just as holding on to the electric fence will lead you to more and more pain, holding on to that sin that's been committed against you will cause you more and more pain. It will result in anger in your life. It will result in bitterness in you. You will lose hope. You will lose joy. You will lose peace. All of these things that you're looking for in Mr. and Mrs. Wright, you will get all of those things in your life. You will live a miserable and unhappy life the longer that you hold on to unforgiveness. There's that old saying that Holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's true. You holding on to unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other person. We think that, though. It's like, well, I'm not going to forgive them until they're really sorry about it, until they make this right. They don't care, especially if they're a jerk that's going around hurting people. They're living happily, not caring about how you feel, hurting other people the whole time. They don't care about how you feel. But you have to make that choice of that you're not going to allow what they did to ruin your life. You have to make that decision that you're going to release them from their, their sin and also release you from the pain that you've been living in. Because it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what it is that they have done, you must release them. And if you refuse to release them, what you're doing is putting yourself in the place of God. Joseph understood this when his brothers came and they tried to manipulate him uh, and they asked for forgiveness. He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? See, he understood that. The reason we don't forgive people is because we want to be vindicated. We want some form of vengeance. But that's putting ourselves in God's place. God says this in Leviticus 19, 18. He says, you shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Romans 12, 19 through 21, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That idea of a vengeance or uh, to avenge means to bring about justice to an unjust situation. That's what God does. He's able to bring justice because he is a just God. We are not just people. We aren't able to sit in the judgment seat and make a just uh, decision because our hearts are flawed. We're a hurt people. We have peop where people have sin that continues to fester and to dwell inside of us. What we look for isn't really vengeance. We're not looking for justice. What we're looking for is revenge. We want to pay someone back. We want to see them hurt like we were hurt. That's not justice. That's revenge. And that's not what God's looking for in the situation. 
What God wants us to do is to release the situation to him so that he can act as the just judge and make it right. Joseph understood he wasn't the judge. God alone is qualified to judge. He recognized that what he had to do was to release them. And he treated them well. It says that he took care of every need, not just them, but for their children as well. And the way that you treat someone will tell you if you've really forgiven them or not. Because if you have released someone, it's like it never happened. But if you're still holding on to something, even though you said you forgive them, if you're still living your life out of the memory of this and allowing it to dictate how you treat them or act around them, then you haven't really forgiven that person. Happened to me once. It was, I was wronged by someone, and for six months after that, I just kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about how they had wronged me, and it was unjust. And I would talk about it with my friends, and I felt like it's really kept me from the destiny that God's called me to. And I said, yeah, I've forgiven them, but I kept thinking about it at night. I think about a day when I was around this person, when we'd have interactions. It still kind of flavored the way that I interacted with them. And after six months of it, the Lord really spoke to my heart and he said, you haven't forgiven them. It's like, yeah, I have, God. I said, I forgive you. And he said, well, then how come you keep talking bad about them? How come you keep thinking that they owe you something or that, that you act differently, you won't talk to them, you're not as friendly with them? He said, if you really forgave them, then it would be like that sin never occurred. It wouldn't affect the way that you interact with that person. I was like, yeah. And God reminded me, he said, how is it that I've forgiven you? Do I count your sins against you? Do I remember your sins? And he brought me to that verse in Psalms where it says that I've separated my memory of your sin as far as the east is from the west. And he told me, and that's the way that you're supposed to forgive others. You need to release it. You need to release the debt that's paid, or the, release the debt that's owed to you. You need to release the memory of that sin. It needs to be like it never happened. And so I truly forgave that person in my heart. I apologized to them about talking bad about them, which is always an awkward conversation. Hey, you don't know this, but I've been talking bad about you, and I'm really, really sorry about that. I was deeply hurt by what you did, and I thought I was over it, but I wasn't. So my apologies. Please forgive me. And our relationship was restored and we're closer now than we've ever been. And that's the bigger part of it. Not only was I freed from the pain of carrying it around, but I was also able to have that relationship restored and to grow beyond what it ever was. And that's what happens. And Joseph could have spent his life trying to vindicate himself, trying to keep the memory of what happened alive, but he forgave and he completely released them from their sin against him. Now, if you're having trouble with forgiving someone, a lot of times that's because you yourself have never received forgiveness. And that's the second point, is that you have to receive forgiveness. In Matthew 6, 12, it's a part of the Lord's Prayer, and it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now what that means, that word as means, it means in the same way. So what you're praying is, forgive us our debts in the same way that we forgive our debtors. When you think about it that way, it's like, ooh, that's tough. I'm not sure that I want God to forgive me the way that I forgive other people. But that's what we're praying when we pray that. Now, a lot of us, the way that we forgive people is wrong because we don't understand the way that God forgave us. 
You see, if you're going around and you think that in order for forgiveness to occur, that there has to be an apology, that there has to be some righting of the wrong, that they have to keep the memory of it alive, then you haven't truly understood the forgiveness that God has for you. Because you end up forgiving other people in the way that you think God has forgiven you. But this is what it says, God freely forgave us. And so he says, freely we've received, freely we should forgive. He doesn't count our sin against us anymore. That means that we shouldn't count other people's sins against them anymore. He doesn't remember our sins. We shouldn't remember their sins. But a lot of times, we're looking for that kind of righting of the wrong. Now, I'm a master towel snapper. I'm good at it. It's my gift. I'm not good at many things in life. My dad was a phenomenal towel snapper. I am. My son probably will be someday. But it's not a good way to impress a girl, it turns out. There is no welt you can put on the back of their leg that will make them think, now that's a man. <laughs> so, my wife, we're married, and I'm, snap, I'm not snapping with a towel, but you know, she, we're doing dishes. Whenever I'm the one that dries, I'm always you know, whipping that thing around, and I'm snapping it at her. But I'm just trying to scare her, so I'm snapping you know, the refrigerator next to her, and these are just loud cracks. Like, and it's scary. She's you know, jumping, and I'm like, trying to snap between her legs and stuff like that. And she's like, you're going to hit me, be careful. And I'm like, you know what you're talking to? <laughs> I'm the Harlem Globetrotters of the towel snapping world. <laughs> and so I'm doing this, and then one time I went to get her, and I, I, mean, I was trying to go between the legs, and I just nailed her right in the back of the thigh. And I saw her eyes, and it was surprise, it was pain, and it was pure fury. <laughs> and I got scared. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Anna, I'm so, so sorry. Will you please, please, please forgive me? I'm, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I'm, oh my gosh, please, please forgive me. She's like, it's okay, it's okay. And she's just, I just want to sit down. Just please leave me alone for a minute here. I'm like, no, please, please forgive me. I'm so sorry, I can't believe I did that. I was just trying to play around. I never, ever should have done that. I won't ever do it again. And that was a lie. But <laughs> I thought for a minute I never would do it again. And then I get to the point, I'm like, I need, I want you to snap me with a towel. <laughs> she's like, What? I'm like, yes, I want you to take the towel and I want you to snap me with it. I'm going to give you a free shot. She's like, no, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, no, please, I would feel better if you hit me with the towel. <clears throat> Why? Because I couldn't accept free forgiveness. I thought there had to be something done on my part to make up for what I had done to her. I couldn't accept that she could just freely forgive me. You know, a lot of us have a, a hit-me mentality with God. We think that because of what we've done, that God needs to do something to us to punish us for our sins or for our transgressions. And because of that, we expect other people to have to pay for what they've done to us. But this is what you need to understand. God doesn't hit his children. Isaiah 53 Verse 10 says this, it pleased God to bruise him. And that's referring to Jesus. See, the reason that God doesn't punish us, the reason that God doesn't hit us to make our sins right, is because Jesus already took the full penalty for our sin. He already paid the price. It says that he was bruised for our iniquities. And it says that it pleased God to do this. That's a hard one to understand. Jesus, the Son of God, the same substance as God, fully God, part of the Trinity, 
It says that before time began, that they came up with a plan together, knowing that we would be a sinful, fallen people. And that they worked out this plan by which Jesus would come and take our place, and that he would take death on himself, that he would take the full punishment for every sin that we ever committed, every sin that we ever will commit, to remove it from us. And that's why God was pleased to bruise Jesus. Because he saw that by bruising Jesus, Jesus knew that by taking the penalty on himself, that we would be restored. That we wouldn't have to take that punishment. That's the kind of forgiveness that we need to receive from God. It's free. We're not a punished people anymore. We've been forgiven because of God's great love and because he made the sacrifice himself for all of our sins. And if you're having trouble freely forgiving people, there's a good chance you haven't received God's forgiveness. And if you haven't received God's forgiveness, there's a good chance that it's because you have trouble believing in God's forgiveness. And that's the third key. So you have to believe. You know, we have trouble believing that God can completely and freely forgive us, that the penalty has been completely removed from us, that we can enter into relationship with him pure and spotless. Because what happens is, when we see how good God is, it can be frightening to us. Because you, when you see how good something is, it makes you aware of how bad you are. It's like when you see the airbrush models on the magazine covers, it makes you feel like, oh man, I'm ugly. But when you see how holy and how pure God is, it makes you realize how far from him you really are. And that's why it's so important to believe in the forgiveness that he's made for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus, the one who never sinned, to take on all of our sin, to pay the full penalty for it, so that instead of us being those who carry the weight of our sins on us, we become those who have God's righteousness. We're pure and we're holy before him. And this is how God took care of it. God's pure and holy. It says that his eyes can't even look upon sin. But we were a sinful people. And so Jesus came he took our sins upon himself, paid the full price for it, so that now, when God looks at us, it's not a sinful, messed up, fallen people. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's what we have. It says that we used to have old robes of sin, but that now we have a new white robe. And that's the imagery that's used. We're a pure people. Every sin, from the past, the present, and the future, it was all atoned for in Christ Jesus on the cross. But it means that you have to believe that to receive that forgiveness. And you have to receive that kind of forgiveness before you can extend it to someone else. Do you guys stand with me this morning? <clears throat> and let's pray together. God, thank you that you speak to our hearts, that you give us a wisdom that we can hear your voice speaking to us. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now. 
Would you search our hearts? Would you know us? Would you give us ears to hear your voice? And God, would you show us if there's someone that we need to forgive? If there's some hardness of heart, if we've been holding on, if we haven't been releasing someone from the sin against us. God, would you reveal that to us now? And Father, would you give us the ability to release that person fully? Jesus, we release all those who have wronged us. All those sins against us, God, we release them to you and to your justice. And God, we bless those who have wronged us. We pray that you would move upon their hearts, God, that you would pour out your blessing on them in every area of their life. God, would you remove that memory of that wrong? Full release. God, would you give us a heart to love those who have wronged us? And God, would you remove any desire for revenge inside of us? Let us see them prosper in every way. Maybe this morning you're, in, you're someone who's in need of forgiveness, of God's forgiveness for you. Maybe you've been trying to earn God's forgiveness. Maybe you've been trying to earn a relationship with him. But maybe this morning God's moving on your heart and you're ready to believe for the first time that your forgiveness is a free gift that your sins have been forgiven by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, God's calling to you and he's saying, Son, daughter, believe, receive. Enter into my family and into a new, unbridled relationship with me. If that's you, every eye is closed. Would you raise your hand just as a way of saying, Yes, God, that's me. I confess my sin and I want your forgiveness inside of me. I want to receive fully. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. Thank you so much. And if that was you this morning, then go ahead and pray this with me. Father, we love you. Thank you for the salvation that is in Jesus. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were raised from the dead. And now, Father, I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Would you send me the gift of your Holy Spirit? Would you breathe new life into me? God, would you make me a son or a daughter? Adopt me into your own family. Would you give me the righteousness of Christ? Every sin removed and forgotten. No guilt and no shame. And Father, would you teach me to hear your voice? and to follow you every day of my life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.